Well, good morning, gang. You could go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Doug. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just super excited uh, to be here with you again uh, this morning. But before we get started, can we go ahead and pray? Lord God, we, we need you here this morning. And Lord God, if there's, if there's anybody in here like me, uh, there's a, a past that we have that tends to haunt us. And there's mistakes that we've made and failures that we've had that, uh, that tend to uh, skew our, our vision for a future. And so, Lord God, we just uh, pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this place. That would, you, you would open our hearts and our minds to what you might have to say. And then it's your words that are spoken here this morning and not mine. It's your precious Son's name we all pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's no secret that here at this church we have some pretty amazing athletes that attend with us. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, a few months ago when the church decided to hire me, uh, you got another one. That, uh, yeah, that uh, I know that my uh, athletic physique uh, doesn't really point to my skills, but uh, I am a uh, tournament trophy winner. Uh, I participated for many years, uh, was very successful. You could look me up on the internet if you would, but... Uh, uh, I am a tournament trophy winner of the, uh, the sport, the game of chess. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you knew that. And it's true. At one point, I was ranked fourth in this state, and, uh, and all throughout uh, my, my high school years especially, uh, I just played the game. I loved, I loved the game. And uh, I never admitted that to too many people. It wasn't really cool. Uh, but when I was in high school, I was a member of the chess club. And, uh, and as a chess club, uh, a bunch of us, we were kind of hanging out at one time, and we were discussing our love for basketball. We absolutely loved basketball. I loved basketball so much. I had a basketball hoop in my driveway. I would play any chance I got. I was absolutely horrible, no matter how much practice I would have. Uh, I mean, honestly, I'd be out there in the rain shooting, and I just never got better. I loved basketball, but I was horrible at it. And we decided to come up uh, with this idea, we thought it was brilliant, uh, although I don't know why we did this, but those of us in chess club that, that love basketball, we, we thought, why don't we form a team, a chess club basketball team? And what we could do is we could compete in the intramural basketball tournament at the high school. And we thought this is going to be brilliant. And if there's anything we learned from 80s movies like Karate Kid and... Uh, uh, Teen Wolf and Revenge of the Nerds, that it doesn't matter what your athletic ability is, as long as you have heart and passion, you can be successful and you can win. So we decided we were going to do this. And I remember it was the very first game, and uh, I, I got the ball on the tip-off, and I maneuvered my way to the opposing team's hoop, and I leaped with such perfect form and, uh, and, and began to take my shot, and they're defending, standing in front of me, was a guy by the name of Jason Capizzi, who was a few years younger than me, that later went on to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. He was seven foot, if he was one foot. And I remember he, he didn't defend or block or hit the ball out of my hand. He reached over top of me and plucked the ball out of my hand and came back down and, and, and went down and, and, and took a shot. I think he dunked, actually. I remember standing there and coming to a horrible realization, and that is that I just have zero athletic ability. It doesn't matter how much I want to win, it's just not going to happen for me. 
Uh, it's both times like that and times when I was younger and even times when I got a bit older that, uh, that kind of haunt me whenever I go to play sports even to this day. I usually, after being at a church for a number of years, so you guys will look forward to this, uh, join the church softball team. Uh, I am known for my encouragement skills on the church softball team because uh, I'm really not very good. And what happens is I'll go to make a play or something and I'll just, I'll be feeling it. And then these failures at sports will haunt me. And I'll think, man, I'm going to screw this up. And I will. It'll just be horrible. Now, I don't know if you're like me here this morning and maybe it has nothing to do with sports, but have your past mistakes ever influenced your present attempts? Have your past failures ever influenced your present attempts? It does me. We're about to go into a new year, a time of new beginnings, and we're beginning a a new series here this week, just two weeks, called Out with the Old and In with the New. So today we're going to be talking about uh, getting rid of the old. And I can remember when I would move from middle school to high school or from high school to college, I would be pretty excited because it was a new slate for me. It was a clean slate. It was a fresh start. And I I could even remember uh, moving about every six months when I was a young adult because I had kind of messed things up so much. I, I didn't know Jesus when I was young. And I could remember just wanting to move and desiring that fresh start. See, I was searching for something, but I didn't quite know what that something was. Our past mistakes and failures tend to influence our lives here today and now, and the possibilities of our future, too. Maybe you failed in a relationship in the past, so you think you're going to fail again. Or maybe you've screwed up at work, so you don't want to try for that promotion. Maybe you've hurt some family members, and so you, you tend to avoid them. Maybe you've lived a life of sin and you think there's no way that God can use you. Or maybe you just feel so dirty and unused and and like junk that you think there's no way there's a God in the universe that could love me. Maybe guilt and shame are weighing you down so much that you wonder, what is the point of trying to get back up again? One of my favorite movies is The Usual Suspects. And there's a line in there that I, I never want to forget, and that is, the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Because, gang, i got to tell you something. There's a God in this universe, and this God has an enemy. And, and the enemy, uh, one of the biggest reasons why God's children are living defeated lives today, I think is because of guilt and because of shame and because the enemy knows how to use this to render us to be ineffective. It tears us down. It makes us feel dirty, unworthy, It robs us of our faith and our confidence in Christ Jesus. But Jesus came to not only cleanse us from our sins, but from that guilt and that shame in our past. Again, guilt is not a word that we find in biblical times. When you read through Scripture, you're not going to see that word. Instead, you're going to see two different words that we can argue uh, have similar yet different meanings. I want to talk about those words for just a moment. We'll throw the first one up on the screen. And this word is conviction. Now, conviction is something that God uses through His Holy Spirit to forewarn a person that he or she are doing wrong. 
Look at what Jesus uh, says about the Holy Spirit here in John 16, verse 8. And when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. You see, conviction, this is what causes the non-believer to realize their need for a Savior. This is what causes the non-believer to realize their need for Jesus Christ. Or conviction, this is what God uses to cause the believer to realize that a certain sin they're struggling with, they they need to get rid of. Or at the very least, draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to fight this thing with God's help. That's what conviction is. And conviction is used by God, and it ends when we repent. That word literally translated means to turn around. When we turn around from that thing, that's when conviction ends. Every New Year's Eve, although I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I grew up in a church, and and I could remember, you know, I, I believed in God, and I believed in Jesus Christ, although I did not allow him to affect my day to day. But I can remember on New Year's Eve getting kind of scared that it's a new year, it's a perfect time for, you know, this Jesus I had heard about to come back. And I remember a particular New Year's Eve, I was uh, an assistant manager at Hollywood Video in Cranberry, back when our culture used to have video stores. And um, I was there, and and Y2K was coming, and I thought, this is going to be the year. (laughs) Jesus is going to come back. And I had this conviction on my heart of the junk, the the way I was living my life, the sin, the the fact that I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ and and I wasn't living a life that he would be happy about. And I remember dropping to my knees in prayer that evening at that store, at that video store, because of that conviction. That's how God uses conviction. But there's another word that we find in Scripture, and that word is condemnation. That word is what the enemy uses. The definition I looked up this week is to demonstrate the guilt of. Condemnation, to demonstrate the guilt of. The word Satan, literally translated, Satan's name literally translated means the accuser. And Satan loves to torment God's people by reminding them of their past, continually holding their sins over their head, and and making them think that they haven't truly been forgiven. King, I got to tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie from the father of lies. Condemnation is not of God, and it's not a word that we can uh, closely, it's a word that we can closely associate with our word guilt. God doesn't use guilt. God doesn't use shame to trick us into belief. God uses conviction, and when we come to Christ, he doesn't continue to punish us like that. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I learned in in a a Bible school that anytime you see that word, therefore, you ought to find out what it's there for. And Paul is saying to us that, that it's therefore... There's no condemnation. He's urging the reader to recognize that that this guilt, this shame, this condemnation from the enemy is a lie. It's a lie that's designed to hold us back from the freedom that God has intended us for. It's a lie from the father of lies. So today I want to discuss three lies that the world tells us. 
three lies that I know I struggle with and three lies that I believe that you struggle with. And then I want to take a look at the scripture Pastor Jamie read us and talk about God's truth. You know, in, uh, in the latest Batman movie, if you're a fan, Alfred says this amazing line. I stood up and screamed in the theater and everybody told me to be quiet. But Alfred says, it's time for us to stop hiding the truth and just let the truth have its day. How often do we do that as a culture? We don't want to offend somebody. We don't want to hurt somebody. So we just kind of dance around the truth. Today we're going to talk about the truth because we've been told some serious lies. The first lie is this, that your past labels you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God says you have a new life. And what guilt and shame does is it causes us to hold our lives, uh, hold on to our old lives, excuse me, and neglect those new ones. We walk around with these labels. You could think of it as, as when you walk into a new function and you write, fill out the name tag, hello, my name is, right? And, and we walk around with these labels. And, and we think that if we don't keep a jar on ourselves, if we don't keep a tight lid, someone might discover and point a finger at us and, and say, sinner, jerk, luster, liar, stealer, cheater. And we, we label ourselves with that. Our, we know what our past is, and we tend to label ourselves. But gang, i got to tell you, that's a lie. God says that anyone who is in Christ has received a new life. 2 Corinthians, just a portion of what Pastor Jamie read this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Now, that word new in the Greek does not mean brand new, like you're going to throw away the old and, and, and buy a brand new. Like you get a new iPad Air for Christmas, so your first generation iPad is junk, we're going to throw that away. That's not what that means. What it means is to be restored like brand new. To be the original way that God originally intended you to be. As if sin has never touched you. New. I uh, officiated a wedding a couple of summers ago. And, uh, and the bride had this uncle who was very successful in business. And, uh, and he was this uh, uh, machine engineer. Very successful. And the wedding was on this campus of an estate that was his home. And I can remember going... And, uh, and not knowing where to find uh, the people for the, for the rehearsal dinner and for the rehearsal, the practice. And, uh, and so I started wandering around this, this campus and going into these different buildings. And, and I'm sure I looked like some kind of creep trying to figure out, you know, where, where these people are. And I saw some amazing things. How many people love to go to car shows like my dad takes me to and see these old restored cars? I saw dozens of them from decades and decades ago. Cars that look like they have never been driven, almost brand new, that have been restored by this guy. I saw tractors from the 20s and 30s and 40s that he had restored to be like brand new. I saw a steam engine train, not a full-size one, this miniature steam engine train that he had built to be like brand new. And I also saw this warehouse full of junk full of what I would think would be garbage, a junkyard. But to him, to this guy, 
he sees things that he's going to clean up and restore and, and build these cars and trains and tractors to be like new. That's what God wants to do with us, gang. He wants to restore us, to make us new. He says the old life is gone because the new is here, as if sin has never touched us. The lie is that your past, la- your past labels you. That's what, that's what the enemy wants to tell you. But here's the truth, that you have been made new. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been made new. Now, there's a quote out there. I think it's from a movie, but I'm happy to take credit for it if, because this past week I couldn't find where this quote came from. But it says this, Don't measure your life from where you have been, but from where you are going. And I think, man, that's so true. Here's the second lie we, we struggle with in this world. That your mistakes prevent you. Prevent you from what? Well, you name it. But what I want to talk about here this morning is that your mistakes prevent you from God's purpose. That's the lie we hear. I've got this old life, these failures, these mistakes, and, and I, can't, I can't do something for God because of who I am. Guilt causes us to miss out on God's purpose for our lives. You see, each and every one of us in here, you and me, we have been designed by God for a purpose, for a reason. Now, every reason looks a little bit different. The details of your purpose will look a little bit different than the details of mine. And there's some, there's some crazy purposes that God, get, uh, that God gives people out there. Like maybe moving to Africa or working with the teenagers of Christ Church at Grove Farm. You know, you never know what the mission's going to be. But each and every one of us, although the details might be a little bit different of our purpose... We all have something similar, and that is that our purpose is to glorify God and to further his kingdom here on earth. Maybe your mission field might be the school that you're in, or your workplace, or your family, or your community. I don't know where your mission field is. I know where mine is, and I feel so incredibly blessed that that my job and my mission field get to be united as one. It's just, I feel so blessed by that. Uh, My youth pastor... It was an amazing youth pastor, and later in life, I called him up after I'd been doing it for a couple of years, and I said, I feel like I'm in youth ministry for me. <laughs> and he said, that's right. <laughs> he said, you'll, ne- you'll never grow with the Lord, you know, as-, as you would whenever you're beginning to fulfill your purpose. This past year, uh, we left uh, our job, and we moved in with in-laws, and uh, there's a whole big story I'd love to tell you behind that, but in the meantime... I got a job at Chili's to kind of make ends meet. And at Chili's, I can remember that first week I was there, they brought me over to the sink, and they taught me how to wash my hands. And in case I forgot how to wash my hands, there was a big poster hanging on the wall to remind me the proper way to wash my hands. And I'm so thankful because I've been doing it wrong all along, right? I can remember working at Chili's, and I can remember, uh, not that there's anything wrong with working at a restaurant, but I can remember for me specifically this, this depth of sorrow because I, I was in because I wasn't fulfilling my purpose. You see, for 11 years I had been in ministry, and I forgot what it's like to be in the real world. I did. And I, I was reminded of all the times I've challenged people to go out and share Christ. And I thought, how do people do this? In the real world, I, I was reminded. And I could just remember crying out to the Lord in desperation because I wasn't fulfilling my purpose. 
God's enemy knows this about us. That when we're not fulfilling our purpose in life, that we are down and depressed and it's hard to look up. And so what he's going to do is he's going to allow your past to haunt you. Because here's the truth. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the enemy has lost the battle for your soul. God wins. The enemy loses. But there's one thing he has left. And that is to render you ineffective. So maybe he loses your soul, but he's still going to gain all the people around you that you could influence. Because he's going to render you ineffective. So he takes your past and he haunts you with it and says, you're no good. You can't fulfill God's purpose because you're dirty, because you're junk. But gang, that's a lie. That's a lie. And we have another thing uh, going against us. We live in a very accomplishment-driven society, right? We're Americans. You know, we've got we to gotta produce, got to be productive, Pastor Robbie and I are always joking around. We have offices right next to each other. Who's going to be more productive today? If he tells you it's him, he's lying. It's always me, every day. <laughs> we live in this society where, where we feel this, this uh, urge to, to produce and to accomplish. We give gold stickers to our children who are learning to do their business on the potty, right? We, we give scholarships to those who have good grades and excel on the football field. We give promotions to those that work harder and, 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 and produce more and earn business and, and have more success. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But when it comes to our life, we, we naturally think, well, God can't use me because I didn't produce, because I'm junk, because of my past. But remember, we're no longer labeled by our past because we are a new creation in God's eyes. Your, the, the lie is that your mistakes prevent you, but the truth is that your past cannot prevent you from your purpose. That's God's truth. Here's the third and final lie I want to talk to you about. That the world defines you. And when I say world, I mean other people. That that the world defines you. Because guilt causes us to measure ourselves and other people by a worldly, human point of view. In other words, it is what other human beings say about us that we measure. How many of you can relate to this? That 99 people will come to you for whatever reason, whether it be work or just who you are or or school or sports or whatever, 99 people will come to you and just say how awesome you are. Man, you did a great job. You're fantastic. And then there's that one person, that one person who comes to you and says, I don't know, I think you could have done a little bit better. Or maybe they just flat out say, hey, I don't like you. (laughs) You're not doing good, right? And you go home and you wrestle with that one person over and over again. And the words that they say, 99 people told you you're awesome. But there's that one person that you struggle with. Because the enemy loves to use other people and torture us. Now let me tell you not only a spiritual truth, but a scientific fact. Okay? I I like to, I don't know why, it's weird, but I like to study business. I I read authors from, from business people. I read... I read Donald Trump sometimes. I, I, I like to study business. And this is a, a scientific fact that there's always going to be 20% of people who do not like you. There's always going to be a bottom 20% who aren't going to get on board with you. And, and maybe it's because of the way you look, or maybe you remind them of someone else that they don't like, or maybe it's what you stand for, or, or whatever, but there's always this bottom 20% that's not going to like you. That means that 20% of you in this room do not like me. That's what that means. 
In fact, this morning, my wife will tell you that I struggled with what to wear this morning. I thought, should I shave because I'm preaching? Should I wear a full suit or should I put on my preaching jeans? And so what I did is I thought, well, I'll wear it all because I'll be all things to all people. And that way everybody will, will hear what God has to say today. I struggled with that because, you know, we want people to like us, right? We want people to like us. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The lie is that the world defines you, but here's the truth, gang. God defines you, not the world. God defines you. God has given us an amazing gift with our minds. He really has. Think of your mind as like a thermostat in your house, right? This December has been insane. We'll have a foot of snow drop on us, and the very next day it's like 65 degrees. I walked my dog with a t-shirt on last night. It was unbelievable. But in my house, it is a perfect 70 degrees every day. Why? Because I have a thermostat that I set to it. Sometimes the furnace kicks on. Sometimes the air conditioner kicks on. It's like that with your mind, gangs, gang. In this life, you're going to have trouble. In this life, you're going to have great times. But when you choose to focus your mind, which is a gift that God has given us, on God's truth, it doesn't matter the trouble that's going on in the world around you because you focus on what God has in store for you. It doesn't matter the past that you have because you're focused on the future that God has promised you. God has given us an amazing gift with our minds. So set your minds to God's will for your life. Does anybody have a junk drawer at home? My wife and I, we have several. It's not her fault, it's mine. I I love to clean up by just taking everything and throwing it in a drawer and closing it, or a closet and closing it, right? I just love to do that. We have several, and I remember um, we moved a lot this year, and and so I took a picture of one of our junk drawers. I'm going to show you the, the, the picture here. Now, keep in mind, I had to remove like 99% of the junk in order to show you a picture of just a few items I wanted to show you. See, all these items are important, uh, important items that I didn't want to lose, but they're not serving any purpose right now, so they're in the junk drawer. Uh, up there, we have a Star Wars pumpkin carving kit, okay? Star Wars pumpkin carving kit, I can never find it on Halloween, ever. And it's always a couple weeks later, or in this case, two months later, that I discover it, and, and Halloween's just gone by, right? Um, if you look just below that and on the far left, there's some sort of screw or nut or bolt or something to, like, anchoring something in the wall. I know it's important, but I'm not sure for what, so it's there. The white spatula plastic kind of thing, that is how you clean off your George Foreman grill, But I no longer have a George Foreman grill. And so I know it's important, so I have it in the junk drawer. Just below that, the the orange thing there, that's that's a a jump drive, you know, like a portable hard drive. But it's so old that it's like one megabyte. Um, But it costs like $200 back in the day, so I don't want to lose that, right? To the right of that is a key. I have no idea what the key is for. Um, To the right of that is a pencil without an eraser. Below that, the white square, that's actually a cap to a bottle. I don't want that bottle to dry out, so I saved the cap, but I have no idea what the bottle is or where it's located. There's a Xena Warrior Princess comic book, if anybody's interested in that. Uh, There's a a battery. I don't know if it's good or if it's dead, but it's in there. And there's this Christmas necklace that lights up, but it no longer works, and I can never find it at Christmas time. All of these things are important. All these things have a purpose. 
But right now, they're not fulfilling their purpose. So what did I do with it? I threw it in the junk drawer. You and I do the same thing every day, gang. We don't fulfill our purpose in life. And so we throw ourselves in the junk drawer. We think we're junk. We think we're garbage. We think because of our past, there's no way God can use us. And we're certainly not fulfilling our purpose today. So we throw ourselves in the junk drawer. But gang, let me tell you, the creator of the universe, the God who put the stars in the sky, created you, and he does not make junk. He does not make junk. And so we believe lies from the enemy, and we tell ourselves we're junk, and we throw ourselves in the junk drawer, and there's this whole purpose that God has for us that we miss out on. We miss out on. One of the last things I want to tell you about is uh, has to do with New Year's resolutions. I was talking to my, my friend David Sad a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying, I'm going to have the same New Year's resolution that I have every year, and that's to lose 50 pounds. And every year it comes to be like today, like December 29th, and I got two days to like lose 50 pounds, you know. And he said to me, you know, in, instead of trying to create a goal, like I'm going to lose this thing, why don't you change your life, change your lifestyle? right? Change your lifestyle and say, uh, instead of I'm going to lose 50 pounds, this year I'm going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to eat better, right? I'm going to eat more greens. I'm going to change my lifestyle. Gang, if you've got a bunch of, of garbage in your life, God wants to change you. You can't do it. Only God can do it. He wants to change you. So rather than creating a goal saying, I, I'm going to quit, I'm going to stop this, be changed, by God. Be new by God. If I were to stand up here, gang, and tell you about the past I lived, about the person I was, I'm telling you, I would be ashamed. I would be embarrassed. I would be so guilty. I should be dead or in jail somewhere. And thank goodness the life I lived before Christ was a time before Facebook where everybody could see my mistakes everywhere. Thank goodness I wasn't a famous person where my mistakes would be telecasted everywhere and I'd have to live those moments over and over again. Gang, I was a mess. I was the worst of all of you put together, I guarantee. But God has made me new. It wasn't a 180-degree change, I'll tell you that. It was a series of 10-degree changes, and I still got a lot more to go. But God has made me new. God can make you new as well. The last thing I want to say to you, I was reading a book last night, a brand new book by Pastor Mark Driscoll, and I just couldn't believe these three sentences he wrote that I read because I knew I was going to be speaking to you this morning. Here's what he wrote. He said, you are not what's been done to you, but what Jesus has done for you. You are not what you have done, but what Jesus has done. And what you do doesn't determine who you are. Rather, Who you are in Christ determines what you do. Again, God has a purpose for every single one of you. But we let our past, we let this shame, we let guilt, we listen to these lies. We let that hinder us and we throw ourselves in the junk drawer. Let's let this new year, let's become new creations like God has intended us to be. And let's start living towards that purpose. Let's pray. Father God, again, I just thank you for this place. I consider it to be a miracle that I get to be here, and I'm just so thankful for this church and for what you are doing. 
And I'm just so thankful to just, just be able to take a seat and, and, and watch it and be a part of it. Lord God, I, I ask you for your forgiveness, and I know there's people in here that do the same. But God, knowing that you have forgiven us, Lord, help us to, to get rid of the garbage, to take it out once and for all to stop letting it stink up our lives and our living rooms and our houses and our relationships and to know that we have been made new as, as long as we have a relationship with you, we have been made new as if sin has never touched us. And God, I know you have a purpose for each and every one of us. And Lord God, it is difficult to, to discover what that purpose is. So Lord, I ask that as your scriptures say, you would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that you would just begin to show us the next steps. Maybe we can't see the whole journey yet, but you would show us the next steps as to what you would have us do. God, let us feel your Holy Spirit infect our hearts. Let us be able to feel your presence in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.